Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Binge Movie Podcast, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I am Jason Leroy. I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we're going to take a look at four, count them four, movies. Mm-hmm. The Birth of a Nation, The Girl on the Train, American Honey, and Denial. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but kind of meh. And send it back means... Life's too short for the mess. Jason, it has been a dog's age. How? What is it? What's a dog's age? I mean, maybe I feel like it's if it's a cat's year, that'd be seven years, right? It's been the opposite of it's two shakes of a lamb's tail, right? It's been what's the opposite of two shakes of a lamb's tail? It's been four thousand shakes of a lamb's tail. Oh my goodness, these numbers! I'm already in over my head. Getting some fuzzy math at you. Very fuzzy math, guys. We are back uh, after a very, very long absence that we took just shy of our first anniversary (laughs) of being a podcast. (laughs) Uh, just so we could really take the air out of any excitement around <laughs> having been doing this for a year. When's the anniversary? Um, is it this week? It might be this week. I think it's this week. Just um, this week, a year ago, yeah. um, you were interviewing Ellen Page. And, and Julianne Moore. Julianne Moore. And Ellen Page retweeted me just two days ago. So she and I oh. are still friends. Just kidding. She does not remember me. Uh, but she did retweet me. So that's fun. It was a tweet that uh, Natasha Leon retweeted from me to begin with. Um, wow, and this so, is already getting off to an obnoxious guys, start. Guys, guys, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I am desperate to get retweets on Twitter. <laughs> um, but yeah, guys, we're back. And uh, and it has been almost a year since we started. We'll have to look at the exact dates. But yeah, almost one year ago today, we were sitting in my kitchen um, trying out our very first format for mm-hmm. doing this podcast, which was a very awkward format. Yeah, in and which now I... we're, we've moved to the luxury of your bedroom. <laughs> this isn't a bedroom. Could be. It could be. It's a guest room is what it is. Um, but yeah, like last year when we started off, I was just reading prepared scripts and just reading them at Rebecca's face while she sat across from me. Oh, yeah. And uh, and then gradually it was like, you know, I need something from you, Rebecca. I need some kind of back and forth. And just before we started recording, she was complaining that I always stare at her in the eyes whenever I talk now. Yeah, I really do. Mm-hmm. She doesn't like it. I mean, it's very unsettling. It is, it's not It's not the way she would prefer to have intimacy. No, no. no. Eyes closed, <laughs> lights off. Turn around. This is the exact opposite. We're facing each other, lights are on, eye contact full. <laughs> uh, so this is not how either of us prefer intimacy, but it's how to make a good podcast. It's how the sausage is made. <laughs> but guys, we have been gone because I was at the Toronto Film Festival for a couple of weeks and then Rebecca uh, was gallivanting around the world, mm-hmm. um, going to London. Um, to hang around with my colleagues. <laughs> yeah, with all of your work friends. Yes, and it just cash in on all the iTunes festivities going on in London during the Apple Music Festival. It was a real hoot. It sounds like it was a hoot. Missed you. Yes. Oh, I missed you too. I mean, this has been, it's it's been, I feel like we're right just back in the swing of things already. Yeah. Like just, you know, the, the humor, the camaraderie, the thinly veiled contempt. It's all <laughs> right there, right off the bat. Um, Speaking so, of thinly veiled contempt, we're <laughs> finally going to talk about the birth of a nation. Today. We are followed by the girl on the train, not to be confused with the birth on the train. No, um, or the girl of the nation. No, uh, which would both be better movies, I think. <laughs> um, but a uh, train rebellion <laughs> goes through the Long Island <laughs> Expressway. The girl on the train could be about Tilda Swinton's character in Snowpiercer. Um, yeah, which would be great. 
um, the girl of the nation, um, maybe will be that Harriet Tubman movie we finally get someday. That'd be great. I think Viola Davis is playing her for HBO. Harriet Tubman. America's girl. (laughs) She is America's girl. Uh, Do we want to talk about the last month? Just do a quick catch up. I mean, I feel like you, you summarized what I did pretty much. Yes. On the nose. You went to, you have more movie related experiences. Guys. Oh, I I finally saw The Meddler. (laughs) Yay. Yes. It is a tragedy that I had not seen it. Yes. Um, It just, it's one of those things when you're doing this, if you miss one, then it's so hard to get back in the swing and watch something for fun because you were watching stuff for Mm. the podcast all the time. Um, so it was just a real oversight on my part. And this movie is so fantastic. Yay. It's so great. I I didn't expect to have so many feels. I thought it was just going to be a straight up comedy. Mm-hmm. I laughed. I cried. I cried again. And there's, cried barely, again. and there's barely any animals in it. There's barely no. even any pets. No, it's like a very, just a token dog. Mm, yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. There's some dogs in the background at, at Lori's house. No, and that's it. Yeah. Uh, what an amazing movie. Uh, so now you guys have heard it from both of us. We both love The Meddler. Yeah, and, it was uh, the pick of that week for sure. It was the pick of that week. It might be and, the pick of this uh, week. It could be. It could be. Um, and uh, so we love The Meddler. Rebecca finally saw it. She was in London. I was in Toronto. Um, if you guys want to see my full rundown, um, we were originally going to try to do a Toronto recap episode. Didn't pan out. But you can read all of my Toronto reviews on our website, which is thebinge.us. Um, so head over there and you can find my complete rundown of all 44 movies. Yes, 44 movie reviews um, that I uh, that I witnessed during my, my 10 days in Toronto. So that's all there. 44 movies, is that like how many a day? How um, many generally days between there? four and five movies a day. <laughs> huh. Lots of fuzzy math. We're still on the fuzzy math, guys. Um, so, and as we're coming into this today... Um, it is, I am, I have, I am very, um, um, derelict in my duties. Um, I am, could not be coming to this in a worse state. Uh, so. <laughs> you do still have corn dog all over your face. I do still have corn dog all over. It was chili dog. Thank you. Um, get it right. <laughs> do your research. <laughs> um, guys, I was just at a meet and greet, uh, for La La Land, which is the movie that's probably going to win best picture at the Oscars this year. Oh, wow. <clears throat> yes. Um, it is the early front runner. And I was at a meet and greet with its star, Emma Stone, and the director, Damien Chazelle, who made Whiplash, and Justin Hurwitz, who did the music, because it's a musical. And uh, the meet and greet was scheduled for 3.30 to 4.30. Um, wine was provided. Oh. And so you stayed until the wine ran out. <laughs> I was day drinking with Emma Stone. I don't care who knows it. Just kidding. She wasn't drinking, just me. Drinking and being weird, staring at Emma Stone. And... Uh, and I, I got into a bad, I got into, uh, I got loose lipped, um, after, after my time with Emma Stone was great. And with Damien Chazelle and all those people were great. I stuck around afterward with some of my film critics or old colleagues and talked 10 miles of shit about everybody we know. <laughs> and it was not great. Not a good scene at all. I have said a lot of things that I regret. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> uh, which is what I do whenever I have a few glasses of wine in the middle of the afternoon around movie stars, apparently. But... Now I'm sitting back here, and I have not done my preparation for this episode, and I am nursing a Coors Light so that I don't just get fully sober and then cranky. Um, (laughs) Whoa, this is really a time. Things have gotten real real quickly. I guess I'm glad you had that cheese dog. Yeah, I mean, there's a chili dog. Jesus Christ. Uh, so yeah, so I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep up and trying to keep my energy levels high and, uh, and do what I can to get through the next four movie reviews that we're going to do for you guys today, but have a little mercy on me because I have not, I'm, I'm not ready. 
Well, I feel like we should just get right to it then. Let's do it. <laughs> so let's start with the breeziest, easiest movie to review so far this year. The Birth of a Nation. Set against the antebellum South, The Birth of a Nation follows Nat Turner, a literate slave and preacher, whose financially strained owner, Samuel Turner, accepts an offer to use Nat's preaching to subdue unruly slaves. As he witnesses countless atrocities against himself and his fellow slaves, Nat orchestrates an uprising in the hopes of leading his people to freedom. Brethren, I pray you sing a new song. Sing praise in the assembly of the righteous. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let the high praise of God be on the mouths of the saints and a two-edged sword in their hands to execute vengeance on the demonic nations and punishments on those peoples to bind their kings with chains. Dishonor have all his saints. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Sing to him a new song. So this one has been a long time coming, eh? <sighs> We've talked about this movie so many times already. We have, and now the time has come to actually review it. And uh, I don't know, are you ready? No, I'm not. No, no. Um, but we will do our best. I um, feel like I, I had a hard time review, uh, reviewing it now because I, it, I couldn't help but read so much about it mm-hmm. before I saw it and then after I saw it because I just wanted to know what other people were thinking as well. And I, yeah. and I when we're about to review a movie, I don't like to read it because I can't help but feeling like I'm being influenced. Yeah. I feel like now I can whatever you read. completely understand why jurors are sequestered mm-hmm. and so easily influenced. <laughs> So I'm just going to read the New yes. Yorker article. We're basically, about... yeah, we're just the OJ jurors. Yeah, like oh, yeah. we are very, very impressionable and just need to be locked away. So yeah, definitely. <laughs> For over away. a year, possibly, whatever it takes. So that's our review. And then we'll have a 10 minute verdict. <laughs> In the meantime, we're going to get so upset. Oh, man. Um. So yeah, it's been difficult. It has. And I feel like... How hard is this for us? <laughs> yeah, this is about us, guys. This is about me and Rebecca film critics uh who just have to make opinions about something i mean i don't know who suffered more than we um but what's this movie about um, slavery it's about uh it's about a preacher i think but uh but let's talk about i feel like the best way to do this would be to talk about what we like about it first um and and kind of okay talk about those things the things that we want to celebrate and commend about it and then we can mm-hmm. get into the rest of it mm-hmm um, it's beautifully shot. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Uh, it is though. It um, is. It I is. Mean, yeah. No. Yeah, no. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I do feel like the one thing that took away from how beautifully shot, especially is kind of the beginning, is was the rape. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> jumping ahead. Jumping yeah, ahead. I mean that. I mean that's gonna cloud everything. Yeah. Like, it clouds everything. Yes. It's like. It's uh, a, it's and we'll, a, and we'll a, get to the specifics. It's a dense fog. It's a dense fog. The specifics of how mm-hmm. it, certain aspects of the movie are Marine particularly. Marine layer, some might call it. Yeah. <laughs> are you Are you done? <laughs> yes. I guess so. um, but I feel like you know, having seen a lot of the southern imagery from the um, from Beyonce's Lemonade video, mm-hmm. uh, which is more beautifully shot yes. um it, it was almost it was almost didn't work in, in favor of this movie because afterwards mm. you're like okay these are some of these scenes are similarly southern but they're also not as great right you're like he's just ripping off beyonce and whatever she was ripping off yeah <laughs> so that that's a so that's a plus minus that's mm-hmm. a give and a mm-hmm. take there sure sure um what else did i enjoy um <laughs> well i can try to jump in with a few things yeah please 
Um, so, okay. So I think it's very, there are things that are notable about this movie. And one of them is the fact that this is actually a, a movie about slavery that is written, directed, and produced by an African-American man. That has not happened much. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 12 Years a Slave, for instance, Steve McQueen, the, is, is, uh, the director of that film is black, but he's British. Uh, mm-hmm. so, you know, different experience. And so we have an actual, you know, this is, you know, Nate, Tur- uh, uh, Nate Parker, <laughs> first of many times before I make that switcheroo, mm-hmm. uh, Nate Parker, you know, is an African-American man who has taken a story, one of, you know, one of the most sort of, uh, mythologized stories from the, you know, the era of slavery. And he has turned it into a feature film that has gotten a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, and that is an achievement just in terms of his agency, just in terms of his right to be telling a story. Um, you know, I, there's, there's that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the story of Nat Turner is, uh, you know, it's, it's an important story to tell, uh, in the sense that I think it's important for people to know a story about slaves rising up. Um, you know, I think that there is, it's, it's something that, uh, is a question that, you know, that people might ask like, well, how, how, you know, why, how could people just take that? And I think it's important for people to know that like they didn't. Yeah. I think uh, that even like growing up, you've heard stories of like, oh, slavery wasn't that bad. And like, right. And of course there's like, you know, Stockholm syndrome and syndrome trying mm-hmm. to like make the best of your situation as people naturally have to adjust to atrocities. But that was also wasn't always the case. So yes, that's, no. that's a, uh, a good reminder. Yeah. It's a good reminder. Um, you know, I'm not going to say like, oh, finally a movie about slavery because that's not a thing that we have had a lack of mm-hmm. um, even in recent years um, there the New Yorker article that Rebecca referenced earlier uh, which is which is a must read I really recommend um, talked about this movie in relationship to 12 Years a Slave and Django Unchained mm-hmm. and uh, which are two movies that I was thinking of also after I first watched it mm-hmm. and I was thinking that it was closer to Django and this this historian also uh, you know agreed that it was more of a Django um, mm-hmm. it's a Django that thinks it's a 12 Years a Slave yes yes um, which which would definitely um, segue into more of a critique of the film but other nice things to say, I think that Nate Parker is 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 a great actor. Um, I think mm-hmm. that he is a better actor than he is a director. Um, yes. I think that yes. he um, is he does give a, a, a I think a terrific performance as Nat Turner. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Moments of intense emotion um, and torment, and uh, and he really uh, connects. Um, some of the supporting performances are also great. Um, ironically, um, two of the only characters that appear to be shaded in any way that we found compelling when we watched it were two of the white characters. Army Hammer. Army Hammer and Penelope Ann Miller. Um, I believe after we watched this film, because guys, we, we watched this movie like oh, was that two months ago. Yeah, it's been a minute. Yeah, it's been a minute since we watched it. Um, but we did debate it endlessly as soon as we were done watching it. We and did. Have, and have read plenty of things about it. It's never not been in our conversation since we watched it. No. Um, so, uh, but yeah, uh, it had, uh, it had some, some shading and, and ironically some of the white characters. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, what else nice to say about it? I mean, we don't have to dig. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't have to, we like, I'm not going to stretch too hard, um, to find nice things to say about this. You've movie. done a good job already. Thank you. <laughs> um, so there, there's the story, there's a new story about, uh, Nate Parker, um, and, um, his alleged rape of uh his college classmate Mm -hmm. um he was uh arrested put on trial he was found not guilty Mm -hmm. um we've talked about this already the co-writer of the film was found guilty but then uh the uh, conviction was overturned on appeal um so i i think that where this comes where this comes to be an issue you know if you're not trying to to judge the the real life actions of the director uh versus the movie there is an overlap in the movie 
there a there's rape in the movie mm-hmm. um, and the way that it's handled um, the way that it's taken as an, an offense as uh, a crime against uh, the the woman's husband mm-hmm. it is really really would, would normally be offensive um, anyway anyway yeah. here it's regardless like regardless of the context to be offensive right it's it's just a beacon it is uh, it is blinding how mm. knowing the backstory how it almost backs up the case of like how you don't how this writer director doesn't believe that women have a voice um there's literally no talking by the women who are raped Right. Well, the the so Gabrielle Barely? Union, Gabrielle Union plays one of the characters who is raped and both rapes do happen off camera. Um but and Gabrielle Union has has said in the press that it was her idea to have her character not speak um as a symbol of how um you know how black women in slavery had no voice. Mm-hmm. Um but and if that was her idea then I feel like she almost owes me Parker an apology because it makes it look so much worse for him. It looks terrible. Um, that there's this woman whose rape is made entirely to be about her husband and who has literally no voice in it at all. And the and the rape of, of the, the woman who's uh, yeah. Nat... Asia Naomi King uh, mm-hmm. from How to Get Away with Murder, who plays... And, and let's talk about that because one of the... I think the New York Magazine's review this pointed out that the way that Nat meets this woman oh, is the most demented. That's also part of the issue. Yeah. So, um, you know, so the setup in, the, in this movie, Nat and um, and like the white plantation owner played by Army Hammer with whom they've grown up. They've grown up since they were little boys together. And now Army Hammer's father has died. And he's running the plantation. He's kind of succumbing to the pressure to be a leader and to rule. And, right. and, and he's kind of a drunk, and he's, he's kind of a drunk, the and same guy his father was. Exactly, the and plantation's kind of going to shambles. So this this relationship between the two of them is is uh, on shaky ground. Um, but one day they're going through like town, and they come across like an auction block for slaves, and they see Asia Naomi King there, and she looks very traumatized and 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 filthy and beaten and horrible, and um, but still kind of hot. And so Nat kind of like looks at her like. And that's a beautiful woman who's been through some rough times. Mm-hmm. And um, and so he begs his master to buy her and rescue her from her torment um, because Nat's sweet on her from seeing her. Right. And then they get married. And so their meet cute yeah. is on the auction block while he's rescuing her. Which um, is, um, I mean, there's a point there where I think you can say like, wow, this is really a terrible a terrible situation. Is, like yes. the auction block scenes are always particularly of heinous. Of course, horrible, horrible. Um, but I mean, as the writer director who has uh, some control over, over how you all the control, oh, right? Over how you meet the love interest, mm-hmm. it's it's terrible. Yeah. It's uh, it's uh, it's unforgivable. And this gets to and this jumps ahead a little bit, but this gets to part of the problem is Nate Parker's evangelical Christianity. And yeah. that is something that he has wrapped himself in so repeatedly on the press tour for this movie, particularly after what's come out. Mm-hmm. And wrapping himself as Christianity, wrapping himself in his family and his daughter as being like, I'm a different man, I'm a changed man. Um, and I can just feel, watching this movie, you can feel, and he also, another thing, one of the consultants on this film, which later turned out to be extremely ironic, was Mel Gibson. Really? Yeah. Oh, didn't you? I yeah. did not know that. Yeah, no, Mel Gibson's in the thanks. He's in the thanks in the movie, uh, in the credits. And uh, and and Nate Parker and Mel Gibson worked together before on on Nate Parker's very long journey to making this movie. 
um, Mel Gibson had like a key role in advising him. Wow. Um, and now those guys have lots of things in common um, mm-hmm. in terms of being pariahs. Yeah. Um, but like, and that's why this movie is essentially like, it's kind of Black Braveheart. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Like it follows a very, very similar emotional journey as Braveheart. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, so I feel like there's so much conservatism like Christian conservatism that comes through and Nate Parker's handling this material mm-hmm. and this idea that like women, you know, he does, he does not challenge this. He rather than challenge, he embraces the role of women as these, these princesses to be put on pedestals and protected mm-hmm. and whose honor is to be fought for at all costs. Right. Cause that's the turning point in his, um, yes, where he goes from, uh, like where he gets the inspiration to, to start the rebellion is mm-hmm. after his wife has been raped and beaten by yes. uh, these uh, white uh, right. like sheriffs. Yes. Um, so basically, which is not historic. her presence is like a catalyst for the rebellion mm-hmm. in the fact that she got raped. Um, yes, and and there's the idea that that women are only there to justify male violence. Right. And and which would you know if we were watching this movie and thinking about it would already be something that would be problematic. It would feel very regressive. Knowing this situation outside mm-hmm. of the movie, it's really disgusting. Right. It feels it feels like a really kind of clunky act of atonement on yeah. his on his behalf. And um, like a and a and a plea of guilt. Yes, in some ways. And uh, and also a lack of a continued lack of understanding around what yes. he what even has happened. Or yeah, or and or, what the issues are in this yeah. in this particular subject area. Um, the other thing we sort of talked about a bit was what, what was the point of this? Like how, what, what what did the movie make about the point of the rebellion? I think that like, so one, another point that I really resonated with in this New Yorker article was this idea that like, you know, the story of, of Nat Turner is, is, is meant to be, and I don't know. I mean like nothing, no story is meant to be any one thing. It's all, it's all to interpretation, but I feel like the story of Nat Turner does not fit into the kind of movie that Nate Parker has made. Uh, I feel like it's a story. It's it should be. It's a disturbing story, mm-hmm. um, and like it's it's horror upon horror upon horror. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's the horror of of the existing um, you know practices of slavery, um, and there's the horror of what Nat Turner witnessed and grew up around, mm-hmm. and there's the horror of what he the the revenge he exacted. Um, there's which which the film, as New Yorker puts out, um, kind of waters down a little bit, in the sense that in the actual massacre there were lots there were children that were massacred as well, children mm-hmm. and babies, and um, you know like the, the movie basically sets up a series of just of just seethingly one note sadistic slaveholders that we mm-hmm, meet throughout mm-hmm. his travels. Yeah, and, and, and even then it like us... the way they look is like Oh my god. It's like you were to take any stereotype Oh of, my god. And, I, and I'm not saying it's like you, deliverance. Should give, you should give sympathy to uh, the, way, the way you portray slaveholders. But it does but like, undermine the whole thing though. It's such a caricature oh of a god. human. Yeah, it's like deliverance. It's like they're like it redneck is. hillbillies. They're like, you come here, boy. Like, it's like, it's it's not, it's not nuanced. No, at all. There's no subtlety in this. Like, this is a very incredibly simplistic, basic, reductive movie mm-hmm. about an event that is none of those no, things. No, it's so complicated. So complicated. At the end, the way, I mean, the way that the re- the rebellion is portrayed here, it's, it, you you end up, and I don't even think this is the point, is that mm-hmm. you're like, what was that for? Yeah. It, they, he, he... 
the 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 climax is so anticlimactic mm-hmm. um and and it doesn't and there isn't even sort of like a point from that that's brought where it's like mm-hmm. oh and you know um no well, well they try to make a point in a really really ham-fisted really, way really heavy-handed yeah, yeah they try to draw a direct connection um between uh nat turner's rebellion and uh you know in the end of slavery uh through the civil war right yeah. Um, Just, yeah, that was really bad. Yeah, which I was, you know, I was debating with Scott last night, telling about the movie. He hasn't seen it yet, but you know, he was like, "Well, that was, you know, I mean, like symbolically, you know, I think, I think the 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 middle ground from what Scott and I were debating about is that, like, symbolically, yes, mm-hmm. um, you know, symbolically, there is a connection between these different stories of slave uprisings. Sure, but the execution, um, was... yeah, the execution is extremely, extremely ham-fisted, mm-hmm. and um, and, and yeah, there were critics being like. Nate Parker makes the most obvious, predictable cinematic choice at every single turn in the mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, part of that might have been intentional. He may have wanted to make a really super accessible movie about this moment in history so that it'd be really palatable and that anybody could watch it. it turns and out his own history makes it so inaccessible. Makes it so inaccessible. Makes it so much more complicated than he was hoping to make it because, wow, does he make it really simple. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, and, like, I, I honestly, I just don't know what... P, you know, oh man, I don't know. It's tough. Uh, you know, and of course, you know, one owned that like, you know, as a white man, like there are certainly a lot of limitations on what I feel like I should be able to say about, you know, what, you know, this movie in terms of being like, oh, well, this is this part's irresponsible or like, well, what's this supposed to mean? And how's it, you know, so like, it's not for me to make those calls. So I'm just going to try to judge it as a movie. Mm-hmm. And I feel like as a movie, it fails um, to be the kind of movie that that story and subject deserve. Agreed. And I think that, you know, looking at someone like Steve McQueen and what he did with 12 Years a Slave, I think Steve McQueen or, you know, and not just to single him out because he's black, but, you know, like, I think that like the kind of the kind of moral ambiguity um, that mm-hmm. he brought to that film um, mm-hmm. would have served this film very well. Um, but instead, we have uh, Nate Parker, who is, you know, who feels part of his connection to this character is the, fa- is the idea that Nate Parker himself also feels like he's on a divine mission. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a huge part of the problem with the character. Yeah, too. it absolutely it's is. It's like, oh it no, I'm ordained is. by God to carry out this massacre. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like it's it's it, you know it's it and, and that's so there's so many red flags there. But in Nate Parker's vision, but it's just like pure and true, right? Uh, so it's it's yeah. There's just endless problems, endless problems uh, with this movie. And uh, Rebecca and I were really shocked when we watched it because we really were like, oh, like we're so ready to be like you know, even though obviously we were in the thick of the scandal having come out, but you know, we were just like, okay, let's do what we can here. We were completely open, receptive to the movie, and we were just let down so hard by how by how mediocre it is. I mean, it, it's it's kind of a relief. I was I was already <laughs> had made a decision to to say send it back, mm. um, and that I wouldn't have paid to see it to see it based on uh, right. the story. Yeah, you've really been on a journey with this uh, with this subject as a result of this movie. The idea of separating the art from the artist. Yeah, and uh, and and rethinking things I've already done. I've already decided not to watch Woody Allen's Amazon series. Mm, it was supposed to be terrible anyway. <laughs> and once again, how lucky I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, this made makes it so much easier. It's almost like yeah. it, well, I think that one of our takeaways originally was if only people knew how not worth the the question of seeing it or not is because it's not worth seeing. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Although you know, it does beg a question of how are you qualifying which filmmaker? Like, if an allegation is made, is that enough for you to believe the allegation? I'm and then, still working through it. Okay. Uh, so for Woody Allen, you believe that he's guilty? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't. Uh, but that's right. that's fine. <laughs> that is fine. Um, yeah. Um, that... I mean, I also feel like the way he portrays women in film doesn't help at all. Like it also, you know, it backs up my reason to not want to see his 
his works. Mm. I mean, I think that he he can make a really fantastic and has made a lot of really fantastic female characters, but he also is one of the leading guilt uh, guilty men of the one note supportive girlfriend mm-hmm. character, fourteen um, year old. Not, I mean, not fourteen in the movies mm-hmm. uh, or or necessarily in real life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but anyway, the different different subject for another day. Uh, whenever we come to the next film that he puts out next next year, year. <laughs> yes. Um, but anyway, so um, what are you giving this one, Jason? Um. send it back send it back also getting a send it back for me yes um if you are uh curious it is rated r for disturbing violent content and some brief nudity and that was the birth of a nation time for movie number two something a little more lighthearted. birth on the train birth (laughs) on the train uh the girl on the train a divorcee becomes entangled in a missing persons investigation that promises to send shockwaves throughout her life Can you tell me where you were Friday night? I was in the city, and then I went to visit my husband. You mean your ex-husband? It's my understanding that the woman who has gone missing was his nanny. Rachel, I need you to stay away. So what did you do during those hours that night? I don't remember. There's some time missing. Both of us went into this movie not knowing what it was about. We didn't read the book. No, we did not read the book. Even though we had both been in airports recently. Yes, and weirdly. pimped out. Somehow, somehow our literacy prevailed and we did not try reading the book. <laughs> so we can't read, but... Sometimes taste prevails. <laughs> well, I mean, I was excited for this movie because like, there was so much excitement for it mm-hmm. going into it. Everyone's like, oh man, the fucking girl on the train. What a crazy book. That movie's going to be amazing. And, you know, it had Emily Blunt, of course, is a phenomenal actress. Mm-hmm. And Tate Taylor, the director, previously did The Help and Get On Up. Um, and, you know, so was accomplished as a filmmaker. And I was like, and, you know, Alice and Janney's in it. What more do I yeah. want? And Lisa um, Kudrow. And Lisa Kudrow. Alice and Janney and Lisa Kudrow. Done it's and done. It's like you, it's like a Four dream. stars. Four stars. It's like a manifestation Based of Based on that alone, yes. Like your you're reading my, reading my dream journal. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, I was, you know, I, I knew it was going to be like Gone Girl because everybody was like, oh, it's like Gone Girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and Gone Girl, um, let's just say that I never appreciate Gone Girl quite as much as I did while watching The Girl on the Train. <laughs> uh, because The Girl on the Train plays like a Lifetime original movie remake of Gone Girl. Yeah, it really is probably one of the best episodes of Law and Order I've ever seen. I have to say. It really commits. It really does commit. Yeah. yeah it was, long, but it, it's It was good. more of a criminal intent version of it. It was Law and Order criminal intent because it's kind of like you're not really from the director's POV. You're kind of in there with the... With the with the criminals, with the murderers, figuring out what's go what's happened, what's happened. That's true. And what kind of you know confused reality led to this? We have Justin Thoreau in this movie. <laughs> so guys, after we watch the movie, uh, we're walking out and we're talking about the cast and we're talking about the things we didn't like about it. I was ready to make what I thought was a, was a funny joke that I had been yes. sitting on the whole movie. She was ready, and uh, you know, and she, you know, we both enjoy sitting on jokes, and uh, and she was prepared to release it from where she'd been sitting on it and cr- and hatch it to the world, crushing it. And so, um, and so, and she, and, and actually, you said this to me once toward the beginning um, of our conversation, and I didn't realize you meant them both to be jokes. Yeah. 
because you said what you're like Justin Theroux and who did you I think hope, I was like I, I really thought Justin Theroux and Kristen Wiig were gonna right. work out <laughs> exactly because and I, and I was like Kristen Wiig and you're like well yeah I thought that she really looked like Kristen Wiig and I was like oh. Emily Blunt was giving real Kristen Wiig vibes in this movie yeah especially since she kind of plays it almost so self-seriously that it's like a Kristen Wiig performance yes, in a yes, comedy yes Yes. Um, because she's so, um, it's such a humorless, non-winking performance mm-hmm. that almost crosses over into being a comedy performance. Yeah. And uh, and she's getting a lot of good notices for this. And like, she has some moments where I'm just like, oh, that's, that's good work. But playing a drunk is such a tough tightrope to walk for an actor without veering into like, like hysterics and parody. Yeah. And let's also just... playing a not drunk for a human is difficult <laughs> to manage work-life balance. Go on. <laughs> yeah, so these are challenges that we all face. We all and, face. And uh, and she doesn't always succeed. Mm-mm. There were definitely a handful of scenes where I was like, girl, you're overplaying this right now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you just want to make fun of her uh, because, I mean, Emily Blunt does not look like a drunk. No. She is pristine. Pristine. Uh, and, and, it, and even though you can give her, like, bloodshot eyes and tell her to, like, look, you know, bleary. Um, but you know, it doesn't really work. Mm -mm. And what was even more confusing for me was the fact that like her slur was such that I literally couldn't tell if she was supposed to be British or not. Yes. Yes. I had no idea. I'm like, wait, is that her own accent or she's just slurring? Was throwing it off. Very confused. Very confused Uh by that. Um, so, uh, so that was a problem. And, uh, uh, but anyway, so going back to, um, Rebecca's, uh, quip about Justin Theroux and Kristen Wiig and hoping they would make it. So she says that, and I'm like, oh, Kristen Wiig, ha, 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 no, that's not her. Um, but you were joking about that. And then as we're walking out of the theater, Rebecca says to me. What? I think I said I repeated my joke. No, you said, uh, you were like, you're like, man, but seriously, you're like, that guy looks so much like Justin Theroux. I was so thrown. <laughs> and I looked at her, like, scanning her face, looking for, like, a hint of a joke. And I was like, what do you mean? And and I'm like, which? And, like, I think I said, I said, which guy and you're like mm, the guy you know the, the guy. guy yeah the main, the main guy the guy in the end and uh and i was like that 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 was justin Thoreau. and you're like well in that case it didn't look like him at all <laughs> <laughs> you're like if it's not justin Thoreau, then then it looks a lot like him but if it is him then something's wrong something because is really it doesn't wrong. look like him it doesn't you'll see if you watch the movie, you'll see. So just know when you're watching The Girl on the Train that Rebecca spent the entire two hours looking at Justin Theroux dead in the face. Um, Didn't make who's, on, him. who's on screen for like 70% of the movie. And, and she was like, <laughs> this motherfucker. Who is this This Justin Theroux looking mother. This, like, this off-brand knockoff Justin Theroux. Justin Theroux. <laughs> was Maybe indeed the problem Justin is Theroux. I see too many photos of Justin Theroux in real life because um, it is like GQ is paid to cover him. Mm. He is in every... Like blog posts yes. they have, he like right. comes out of every airport looking fine. He mm, like goes yeah, out to every does. Starbucks in the morning looking like wearing some new like uh, Henley mm, layered with a motorcycle mm-hmm. jacket, just doing everything yes. exactly as GQ doing, would want. Doing the most. And guys, don't worry, I did send Rebecca the Justin Thoreau jogging in the leftovers gift later yeah. that night. I mean, I've seen the leftovers, and I've seen that as well. Yeah, so you were familiar with that. I was familiar with that. Um, I, mean, I think part of the problem with Justin Thoreau is that like he's had a hair system installed. And uh, it's to made, maintain that, it's not that's not like his own natural hair. Really? No, he's like Joel McHale. Those are like plugs. Oh, yeah. They I mean, made it look like the Justin same shape as always been. Justin Theroux has been at it for a fucking while. That's he's, true. He's been at it for a minute. He was in Romeo Michelle's High School Reunion. Yeah, 
So he's been. And at, so was Lisa Kudrow. And we see. So was Lisa Kudrow. And we see a reunion. Once except again. For, yeah, I guess they are. Yeah, we actually see. Was that? Oh, but that was Neil Garofalo's character who had a moment with him in the movie. Yeah. It wasn't uh, Lisa Kudrow's. Was with Sandy Frank. Alan coming, but enough talking about movies we like. Uh, on back to the girl on the train and and Rebecca's uh, uh, puzzlement over Justin Thoreau being possibly himself. Girl on the train is a movie on an airplane. It is. It is. It's. 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 It was just. It was dull. You know, like yeah. like I, I get that. You know, it's hard to be compared to Gone Girl because no director can meet the standards of David Fincher, mm-hmm. his exacting 140 take standards. Um, and you know, and he got such brilliant performances. Like that's the role Ben Affleck was born to play. Mm-hmm, Rosamund mm-hmm. Pike was so perfect in that movie. Um, great supporting cast: Neil Patrick Harris, Casey Wilson, Kim Dickens. Uh, so you know, like that was that was a great movie. This movie is very similar to that. Although the author of the book, Paula Hawkins, has apparently gone on the record as saying that she uh, does not like the comparisons to Gone Girl. Which now I understand why. Because, <laughs> girl, your book is not Gone Girl. Uh-uh. Let's talk about these three women. I think the presentation of the movie, and I'm guessing from the book, is such that thinks that it has these three very complex women. Um, mm. So we have Emily. Well, by very complex, you mean they all I mean, completely one live note. around men. Yes, they all rotate around men. Their existences and they all live are in states, defined by... They live in various states of reproductive trauma yeah. and uh, and are just all digmatized yes. um, by dark, virile men. Yes. Um, and, uh, violent. Yeah, violent, dark, dark virile, virile men. controlling men. Yes. And, um, and so, you know, so we have um, uh, Emily Lunt's character, who is an alcoholic... Uh, who, That's the girl on the train. Yeah, she is the girl on the train. And, We're all um, the girl on the train. Yes, I mean, like, I mean, I certainly uh, fantasize about a lot of things I see out the window of my tech shuttle every morning. <laughs> um, but, uh, but so she is the girl on the train, and she's a drunk, and her life's a ruin. And it ties into these these houses that she looks at every day when she's on the train going into Manhattan. And uh, and then we have um, this character who is um, played by Rebecca Ferguson. Uh, who uh, was in the last Mission Impossible movie? She is married to Justin Thoreau in the film, mm-hmm. and she uh, and Justin Thoreau previously had been married to Emily Blunt's character. Then we have the third female character, who's played by Haley Bennett, um, who looks distractingly like Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> um, Jennifer Lawrence, yeah. to me, she looks like Jennifer Lawrence crossed with Kate Blanchett. Mm-hmm. She was like if Jennifer Lawrence had Kate Blanchett's jawline, mm-hmm. she would be Haley Bennett. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. But this character and this 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 girl is meant to be like the mis- the mysterious girl because she goes missing mm-hmm. very early in the very early in the <laughs> but film. But mysterious, I mean, we don't know where she is. Right. Yes, exactly. Like if it's typical myst- her. If it's mysterious in the sense that like Rebecca's vape pen is mysterious because she hasn't been able to find it for a couple of days. Uh, this is she's very mysterious. Um, lots of mystery around that one, shrouded in it. Uh, so, uh, so she's, so she's meant to be this like enigmatic character, but she's really, she's just a sad, pouty sex doll. Yes. And watching the character, I was like, I would have paid anything to see Amy Schumer play this character. <laughs> I can't wait for the She Amy would have been so fucking funny. That would have been amazing. Just like, uh, yeah. like, she would have been so fucking funny, this character, because there's nothing to it. Wait, there's literally, nothing- literally none of the women in this movie have a job. One has been fired for That's her alcohol. True. Oh, I guess one's a nanny, a nanny for yes, a minute for yes. like the first one's five minutes a nanny of the movie. And she fucks that up good and well. None of these women have jobs. No, that's true. That is um, insane. They are not working. Um, one lives on alimony. The other mm-hmm. lives on the graces. And the other two are married. Yeah. So yeah. 
Um, you know, but I mean, the one living in alimony and living with Laura Prepon, I feel like is the one that we would all want to be. <laughs> the drunk? Yes. yes. Who doesn't want to be a drunk living with Laura Prepon? <laughs> I think that's the life yeah. that we all yeah. want. Um, I'd be fine with that, but... Um, so, you know, we do have Alice and Janney and Lisa Kudrow playing supporting characters. So that's the best part of this movie was the supporting characters. Yeah. Hands down. Lisa Kudrow has like one five minute scene and that is she, yeah. so good. She has a game changing scene toward the end of the film. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's a very pivotal, like pulling back the, 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 the curtain type scene. It's also so unrealistic how everything after that just kind of falls into place. Yeah. I think that in real life, like how that would have worked would have mm-hmm. still taken a year or oh, yeah. two of like processing and yeah. like investigation. And I'll say this for Lisa Kudrow as well. I just want to give a tip of the hat to her for, you know, and I don't mean this in a condescending way, but for, for aging gracefully, uh, you know, seeing her in a film, like she, she, she is not, she's not plumped, you know, she's not injected. She mm-hmm. looks very natural for her age. And uh, I just want to give a tip of the hat to her for that because that's certainly a rarity. Certainly look at her compared to her castmates from Friends and she looks not like them. And uh, and I love that about her. I think Lucy Kudrow is a genius and I love seeing her popping up in these kinds of roles and she is brilliant in this role. Alice and Janney, on the other hand, I almost felt like was overplaying her part. Yeah, that, she was, was, that was the very law and order part of it. She was incessantly insinuating. Mm-hmm. Like she did, like she was never not giving side eye. Mm-hmm. Like her every frame was her just like looking like. Oh, she was the only woman with a job. That's true. And yeah, well, she, Lisa Kudrow like, had a job too. The hell out of Lisa it. Kudrow had a job too. Why well, thought Lisa Kudrow, uh, her husband worked with him? Oh, I thought we she don't know if worked she has a job. There. Oh, we don't know. Right. If she has that's a right. Job. Okay, no. undetermined. Rebecca's right. Alison Janney is the only female character that we know for certain has a job. Although and I, she, although I don't even know, seems what really shitty at it. And she does not seem great. <laughs> Very um, unprofessional. And again, compares unfavorably to Gone Girl, where Kim Dickens was so brilliant um, as the detective mm-hmm. on the case, even though she maybe was not also the best at her job. Um, she at least you could buy into her quest to discover the facts. As well as Allison Janney, who just has this, like, yeah, I fucking got this look on her face the entire time, and she mm-hmm. has no idea what's happening. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, um, this movie is meant to be sort of like a, a, a an erotic thriller. Yeah. Um, I think it fails on both counts. Yes. Um, yes. It is not erotic. You know, it does have, it has a bit more sexuality than most studio films have, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but not in, like, any kind of bold way it's just like and not in any kind of subtle way no not in any kind of subtle way and it's not like i mean we are just so unaccustomed to seeing sex in block but in in studio films at this point um so i can't help but feel very shocking and bold when any studio movie does have actual sex in it but wait i'm sorry i'm trying to remember is it is it that much sex or is it just a bunch of flirting like aggressive well well, we see woman flirting we do see like we see the sad sex doll getting pounded by her husband a couple of times Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, in the shower, in the in the living room, in the yeah, various places around the house. Her husband played by by walking brick sex wall, Luke Evans. <laughs> um so uh but you know, so it's not sexy and it's not thrilling. Um it's not especially I like I, I you know, like you as you're watching the movie, there are only so many options that arise to solve the central mystery yeah. and like yeah. and like by around like halfway through you're like okay it's either this or this right and then sure enough it's like oh it's this uh it's not like it doesn't throw you the last minute like but what <laughs> well, that never occurred to me because of casting or anything <laughs> uh, so uh even though you were thrown by 
said casting but um uh, let's talk about one quick highlight of this movie oh yeah 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 uh, does it have to do with um a certain a certain run it does have to do with a certain run there is i mean this movie is dead serious there is no oh, comedy in this movie, except for the fact that it's so ridiculous you might think it's funny mm-hmm. it's so dead serious and there's this point where um emily blunt's character she's like uh part of the reason she's driven to alcoholism is because of her divorce Cannot process it, cannot deal with it, and goes back to her ex-husband, Dustin Thoreau's house. And now he has a, a new a new wife and a new baby. And she, in her drunken stupor, goes into the house and, like, picks up the baby and, like, walks outside with it. And the new wife sees it and, and you know, naturally has a terrible reaction. Mm-hmm. She's caught like a deer in the headlights, puts the baby down, and proceeds to do what I can only call a monkey run. <laughs> Oh, wait. It's like their backyard hits the marsh, and then the marsh hits the train track. So she's already running like high knees. Let me describe this. She, she does a high shoulder hunch. So she hunches her shoulders all the way up as high as they go. And then she kind of waves her hands. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how she runs away, but kind of slow. Yeah. <laughs> kind of at a slow clip. And then hits the marsh, and at which point the knees go up. Yes, because she's now in mud. And so she's doing <laughs> And that's when it really goes full ape. We <laughs> we lost it. Also, wait a minute. That was an appropriate time to laugh. There were a lot of times in this movie that were inappropriate to laugh. Mm-hmm. And the whole audience. Yeah. Unintentional laughter. Was really laughing at these scenes of like, I don't know, violence and like sexual mm-hmm. manipulation. It was really awkward. I yeah. felt like there was like a lot of like, like this undercurrent of misogyny just laughing through this movie. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's just ridiculous. I mean, it's a really it's a soapy, lifetimey kind of thriller, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know, in in the run, I, I immediately recognized where I knew it from. It's from the very <laughs> first scary movie. Um, there's a scene where Anna Ferris and her boyfriend are staying in the cafeteria, and she's like, "I'm sorry if my traumatized life is inconvenienced to your perfect existence," which is an actual direct quote from Scream. <laughs> and then she turns, and he's like, "Wait, no, Cindy, no!" And then Anna Ferris does this hilarious <laughs> run where she kind of like hunches her shoulder up and just like waves her hands we'll back and forth, a- and she kind of runs this weird zigzag out of the cafeteria. <laughs> we'll put that up on the uh, we'll put that up yeah, on the we'll, post. we'll throw the clip up. Because I, I, as soon as I got home, I immediately started looking for like, the so best good. possible clip I could find of it to send Rebecca. I'm just like, I know where that run is from. Um, so that was the highlight of the movie. It was for sure the highlight of the movie. What are you going to give this one, Jason? Um, I mean, I feel like I'm being really harsh this first episode back. But I'm going to go ahead and say send it back just yeah. because I feel like it's really just like there's, there's no reason that I would recommend this movie. Um, it's just weak. It's just a weak, toothless attempt at like a dark erotic thriller. Mm-hmm. Just watch Gone Girl again because Gone Girl is so fucking good. And when if you watch this movie, you will think Gone Girl is even better than you already do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree. Um, there's there are so many movies. As I recently found out watching The Meddler, there's so many movies that slip through the cracks. This is definitely not one that's worth your time. No, 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 no. Um, but again, if you have no taste, it's rated R for violence. <laughs> no scruples, sexual content, language, and nudity. We're on to movie number three, which is the pick of the week, American Honey. A teenage girl with nothing to lose joins a traveling magazine sales crew and gets caught up in a whirlwind of hard partying, law bending, and young love as she crisscrosses the Midwest with a band of misfits. It's a business opportunity. We go door to door, we sell magazines. We explore like America, we party. Come with us. Hey-o! Hey-o! Got money. Got money. Got money. Got money. Got money. 
anybody who's gonna miss you? Not really. Okay, good. You're hired. Yeah, I like to so this movie is, this is a bunch of misfits. Um, if you are in San Francisco, I would call them people on the hate with uh, dogs on ropes. Absolutely. And given your feelings about drifters, I would imagine that you absolutely hate this movie. Um, I don't know if you're referring to hobos, but you know, I do think we that talked about that word. We do think that no. So these are they are kind of street kids, uh, for sure. Um, and the idea, kind of the conceit behind this movie is that they have found this operation to be a part of that prevents them from being street kids. Uh, uh, so like a mid-level marketing scam, basically. There's a character played by Riley Keough, uh, best known as Elvis Presley's granddaughter, mm-hmm. daughter of Lisa mm-hmm. Marie Presley. Um, and she has this kind of shim sham operation that she's running, um, selling magazine subscriptions. And she's the queen bee. And uh, and then all these kind of, she just picks up all these strays and runaways and street kids and recruits them into this operation. And, um, and they just kind of travel around through like middle America going from city to city and then going out and and going door to door selling these magazine subscriptions and then just fucking raging and partying all night and uh are they hiring (laughs) uh trying to ticket back home yeah no it's real it's appealing at times um and uh and the way that uh, so this movie is directed by uh, a brilliant british director named andrea arnold um who made a movie called fish tank um which is a really knockout movie starring michael fassbender um and uh, and uh, she made some other uh, fine films as well. For this movie, what she did was um, she got this crew of kids together. A lot of these kids are not professional actors. A lot of them actually are just like st- straight up street kids. Oh. And a lot of what you see in this movie is improvised. Oh, interesting. So they 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 literally do what you see in this movie is what the film shoot was. It was the, this t- very tiny crew and in uh, this cast of like twelve kids or something traveling to the actual locations where it takes place Mm -hmm. and then going around and like going door to door and trying to sell magazine subscriptions and um and uh so it's uh it's very um you know uh it's very reminiscent of like the larry clark harmony corinne sure yeah i mean school of like emaciated kids behaving badly Mm -hmm. um so there's lots of that um, but it feels very authentic because it kind of is authentic because these kids are basically playing themselves. They're just being themselves on camera. Mm-hmm. Um, the leading lady, her name is Sasha Lane. Um, she has not acted before. Really? Um, she was discovered, I believe, at spring break. And um, she has a really unique look and a great energy. And, um, and so we, she's our way in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we see her at the beginning of the film in this very just awful, awful life. And one day she's off shopping at like Walmart or something and she sees all the kids come in and led by Shia LaBeouf, who's sort of like the second in command behind Riley Keogh. And um, and uh, and she's just kind of like watching them and kind of like getting their vibe. And then she ends up deciding to just like chuck it all and go with them. And uh, and that's kind of the whole movie. Like if you listen to that clip that we just played from the movie, that's literally the movie. And um, it's so there's not much to it. Mm hmm. Um, it doesn't really say very much. Mm-hmm. Um, there were there were some who could read too much into it, and make it seem like it's saying more than I think it actually is. And the thing about this movie is that it's fucking long. It's almost three hours long. What? It's almost three hours long of watching the of watching that. Yeah. So yeah, it's like two hours and forty some minutes long. Wow. Um, and uh, and yet, it's kind of spellbinding. 
this is a movie that you experience. Like mm-hmm. it's a very experiential movie. And um and you just kind of like sit down and just like give yourself over to it. Hmm. And um It's a real struggle for you. It's very you're right. Is that you know you know how I how I put up a fight. Yeah. Um but uh <laughs> But uh, but you know it's uh, it's it's very there's a great visual poetry um, to the film's photography that is very typical of Andrea Arnold's films. You mean the rat tail? Yes, the by, by which I mean Shia LaBeouf's rat tail. Yes, which I believe I saw a think piece written about in New York Magazine oh, really? <laughs> the other day. Yeah, like a hymn of praise or Shia LaBeouf's rat tail. Wow. Um, Shia LaBeouf is great in the movie. Um, yeah. You know, he's the perfect person to cast in this because he's a crazy person, and um, and he is a and he has no inhibition around what he'll do on camera. Mm-hmm. And um, so, and he he seems just as crazy as the rest of the kids. He's able to go toe to toe, crazy to crazy, you know, with these like actual street kids who he's sharing the screen with. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was funny. This you know, I saw this movie at Toronto. First check, first time I said that um, this year. <laughs> and um, and one day I was leaving um, a hotel where there was a junket, and I like was like walking to the elevators. These the kids are walking into it, and I was like, "Who are these street kids walking into?" Oh, those are the kids from American Honey. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, you buy a magazine? Uh, yeah, I did. Um, uh, Horse and Hound. Um, <laughs> Jugs will be coming yes. on Monday. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's my way of supporting them. Um, Shia LaBeouf did like a thing where he was hitchhiking across America and you would like find you would like find him mm. on social media and then you'd pick him up. Was this before that? Was this like an inspiration for like mm. letting loose a little bit? That's a good question. I don't know where that falls in the timeline of making this movie. Or maybe he was just so inspired by the movie that he maybe. Just couldn't stop. I mean, in this movie, they're literally taking a van. Uh, they're all packed into this enormous van and they're just taking this van around from city to city mm. in like just really undesirable areas. And they go to Cleveland? <laughs> no, 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 no. Cleveland would have been an upgrade. Oh, okay. No, we're talking about real middle Youngstown. America. <laughs> yeah, right. Gotcha. Um, and uh, so it just it just feels um, you know it just feels very poetic and uh, and uh, it's and you know it's not like like I said it's super fucking long and you know it's to me it was very very involving and very spellbinding and very rapturous and. Um, and, uh, and there's some things about it that you could pick at for sure. Um, but, uh, but all in all, just as an achievement, it just felt like I was watching something new. Uh, it's like I was watching something I hadn't seen before. It was fresh. That's all, that always gets you. It does. Yeah. It does. You know, like all I want, like, especially I think, you know, people who watch as many movies as we do, like you just want something fresh at the end of the day. Something that's going to be just like, oh wow, that's, I haven't seen that before. Mm-hmm. And American Honey, I haven't seen before. Um, and even though, as I said, you know, it, it does, it is reminiscent of like Spring Breakers and kids and movies like that. Um, it, it, it does not have that kind of weird leering male gaze mm. oh, um, that's of those films because it's a female director. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, uh, and it's just, there's, 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 a, there's a very lived in authentic texture to it that is uh, uncommon. Another big win for A24. Another big win for A24. Killing it in the game. Mm-hmm. Can't stop, won't stop. Moonlight is also theirs. Oh, nice. Uh... It's your pick of the week. It is. So it's getting a binge it. Binge it. When you have three hours to spare. Mm-hmm. Um, you, I wish you could see what Jason's doing with his head. He looks like a little proud pony right now. <laughs> but <laughs> American Honey, it's rated R for strong sexual content, graphic nudity, language throughout, drug, alcohol abuse, and it's all involving teens. Booyah. Um, so be sure to check it out. Last movie. Yes. Denial. Based on an acclaimed book, Denial recounts Deborah E. Lipstadt's legal battle for historical truth against David Irving, who accused her of libel when she declared him a Holocaust denier. A man accuses you of something and it's your job to prove he's wrong? In the U.S. there's a presumption of innocence. Yeah, not in the U.K. This case is happening to you 
but it's not about you. Auschwitz is at the very center of Holocaust belief, so it's at the very center of Holocaust denial. There were no gas chambers anywhere at Auschwitz. And here is one of the largest killing machines in human history. We know what it is, it's how we prove what it is. It must be my lucky year. <laughs> We are blessed with yet another mm-hmm. movie starring Rachel Weiss. Vava Weiss. Um, praise Jesus. Mm-hmm. She's Y'all uh, gotta praise him. Once again, leading the charge in this one. Uh, I is. didn't get a chance to see it yet, Jason. Yes. Don't disappoint. No, she's very good. She's very good in it. Um, <clears throat> so the interesting thing about this movie, aside from the fact that it is a you know it is a true story, um, and and uh, is that it feels like a movie for our time. Um, in the sense that it's oh. about it, it, it's it's a yeah. hmm. oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean by our time? Oh no, Rebecca's just going through it on this guy. She's that right there with time. you. Um, uh, you know, I mean, not only you know does it feel relevant in the sense that um, this man who you know this real person, David Irving, uh, you know, not only does he bear certain ideological resemblances to supporters of Donald Trump and, 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 you know, it says things you could conceivably imagine Donald Trump saying, um, it's really about a woman, um, who has to fight her troll, um, mm. in court, uh, which is something that, you yeah. know, and, and this takes place kind of early internet years. This, this all went down between like. 1996 and 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the internet wasn't what it is today and there was no social media or anything like that. Um, but it feels very much so, you know, we have this woman who she, you know, Deborah Lipstadt, she uh, is a, a scholar of um, around Holocaust deniers. And she had written about this man um, who was sort of like in England, he was known as just this kind of like just grotesque tabloid figure who would just say anything for attention and was a troll. He was a troll. Mm-hmm. Um, and trolls gonna troll, and yeah. so when she writes about him in one of his books uh, or one of her books, um, he like tracks her down and does this very this huge staged confrontation in front of video cameras, which is t- you know a plus troll behavior. Yeah, yeah. and Peak um, troll. And the thing that's interesting about this movie is that it's almost more about the peculiarities of the British legal system than it is was, about anything else. That was definitely one of my questions, and that's part of the reason we picked that clip for the mm-hmm. uh, trailer. Um, yeah, you, what do you learn about? About UK law, British yeah, law. It's very, it's very strange because as as you hear in the clip, um, so David Irving accuses Deborah Lipstadt of um, of a libel um, for what she had said about him, and in the UK, apparently, like once you have been accused, then it's up to you to disprove that, and so huh. she is the defendant in the court, mm-hmm. and she, it's up to her and the legal team, mainly the legal team to um to disprove uh his allegation and that then is escalated to to disprove his allegation they have to legally prove that there were gas chambers at auschwitz okay so then just walk me through this one more time yeah so he's claiming libel so so because he's saying it actually never happened that what he's saying is not a lie and so her calling him a liar yeah, impugns him. Yeah, he's saying that he because he's a self-styled um, history scholar. Uh huh. He has no. He's 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 self-taught. Okay, so the libel is that. And he... the libel is that like saying like oh like this man is cannot be trusted as a as a scholar of history because he lies about the Holocaust, and he's saying I'm not lying about the Holocaust, and this woman is maligning me in her books and making me sound like some kind of crackpot. This is fascinating. Yes. And so she actually, and, and so, you know, um, Rachel Weiss plays uh, an American, she plays um, um, a, a Jewish woman from Queens, New York, um, and she leans into the full Jay, Joy Behar accent uh, <laughs> in the movie. 
And, um, and so she, and she's a professor at Emory. And, mm-hmm. um, and so then she finds out, you know, that she's being sued in UK court. And, um, and so her publisher um, has her sent there and she gets this whole legal team. And, um, and then she, what she kind of quickly finds out is that the UK legal system, in addition to having this weird thing where the burden of proof is on the accused, um, they also have, it's an extremely paternalistic um, mm-hmm. system. And so she is, she is not allowed to even make a noise in the court. She never speaks. Oh, wow. It's like when I was first watching the movie Getting Started, I was like, oh, this might be like Rachel Weisz's Oscar movie again. Um, but she she kind of ends up being like what Cuba Gooding Jr. was to people versus OJ. <laughs> because, uh-huh. you know, all the courtroom scenes, she's just sitting there quietly. Interesting. Um, because she's not allowed to speak. And, um, and she um, repeatedly requests and is denied um, by her counsel the opportunity to go on the stand. So who carries the movie in those scenes? Um, Andrew Scott, the brilliant, brilliant British actor Andrew Scott um, from, uh, uh, from Sherlock uh, and Pride and other uh, films, plays her counsel, um, who also, who at the time was sort of like notorious in England because he had represented Princess Diana in her divorce proceedings. Mm. And um, so he and Andrew Scott's fantastic in the film. And Timothy Spall plays David Irving. And Timothy Spall is a brilliant, brilliant, mm-hmm. brilliant actor. And he is fantastic. And even though obviously he wanted to just like rip his fucking head off every second of the screen, <laughs> he plays the role uh, brilliantly. Um, so it falls to those guys to carry, you know, to carry the baton. And the movie is almost ends up being about like how to win on fact rather than feeling. Mm. Um, because you know she wants to make it about feeling like it's clear you know we're, even though she's a scholar like the way the character presents is that she's all emotion and um, and then there is a, a holocaust survivor who repeat, who continually shows up at the trial and will like grab her and beg her she's like how dare you do this and not put us on the stand like we need we were there and we need to go up on the stand and speak to our experience and we are betraying all of our the, our loved ones that we lost by not being heard and and she is like, yes, I, you know, I want to do that for you. I and then, and then she goes to Andrew Scott and he's just like, I refuse to put a Holocaust survivor on that stand to be publicly humiliated by this awful, awful man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, and so, which it, it is, it's all incredibly paternalistic. It's basically these men repeatedly saying to Rachel Weiss, no, sweetie, like you don't understand. We know better. And ultimately they prevail. And she's like, yeah, they were right. Um, you know, <laughs> which I hope that's the last scene yeah. of the movie. <laughs> yeah, she kind of shrugs. She's like, "Yeah, they were right." Turns out, uh, um, and roll credits. Yeah, exactly. And denial. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is why we don't let you direct movies. <laughs> like, what movie wouldn't be best served by somebody going, "Yeah, you know what? You were right." <laughs> roll credits. Um, so uh, yeah, so there, so there's that. Um, so, but, but no, it, it is uh, you know it is interesting because you know it, it, it as a fish out of water legal procedural taking this 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 american woman and putting her in a uk court and having to and then just having this thing where a troll challenging her in in, a, in the court of law um turns into an actual referendum on whether or not the holocaust even happened sounds fascinating and um you know and there's um you know there are some great lines that so the, the screenplay is by by the the tremendous playwright david hare and uh and she says uh, you know she has these lines where she's like even the fact that now out there in the public realm, it's considered okay to have another opinion about the Holocaust. She's like, the longer this carries out, mm-hmm, the more mm-hmm. people are going to think, oh, well, that's your opinion on the Holocaust. Mine is that it didn't happen. And, you know, they're even. 
Right, um, right. You know, like it, it really, you know, it's very thought provoking around the rut, like it just in like rhetorical terms and like what it means whenever certain things are challenged in, in public and mm-hmm. the way that we start to think that like certain things are okay because someone out there is saying them. Right. Um, and that becomes Once again, valid. so very relevant. Once again, so very so relevant. So very relevant. So very relevant. What are you going to give this movie, Jason? Um, I'm going to do consume moderation on this movie. Oh, yeah. would you say binge it to me? <laughs> well, no, I mean, I think that, you know, it, it ultimately, the fact that it ultimately does kind of like reinforce like this, this, you know, this paternalistic structure knew what was best for itself. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and this woman was kind of like, yeah, you know, you, yeah, you were right. Uh, as I said, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> um, you know, uh, it, it, it's, it's very much a kind of like paint by numbers, legal courtroom procedural. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and, in you know, so it is, it is very interesting. Um, but, uh, but ultimately it's a little too kind of like on the nose as a legal procedural for me to be just like, oh yeah, yeah. best of year. No. Um, uh, I would say, but you know, I would say this is definitely, this is like a consume plus and, you know, you'll get your kind of like. Uh, you know, emotional rocks off watching, uh, watching it or all. whatever, or whatever you might have down there. Uh. <laughs> emotional rocks or otherwise. Uh, do we have any more Rachel Vice movies coming out this year? Um, I don't know, but you know, there was that announcement the other day that she's making a lesbian romance with Rachel McAdams. Oh my god! Rebecca introduced me to um to a new acronym. Um, and when I, I, she said F O H, oh, which to me meant front of house. And, uh, all of your years in the service industry. Yes, exactly. Well, I mean, we use it in Peaches Christ Productions all the time. <laughs> so I'm an FOH volunteer. Uh, fuck out of here. Fuck out of here. Which that would have been Rachel Vice's great closing line in this movie. <laughs> They're like, so, do you want to go back to court and try it again? She's like, fuck out of here. And then it's like, directed by Mick Jackson. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And swell the orchestra. <laughs> um, well, Denial sounds amazing. I'm going to check it out, even though you just give it a consume plus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everyone, you have your own minds. You don't have to listen to Jason. <laughs> but do listen to him about Birth of a Nation. She's like, by all means, keep listening to our podcast, but don't, but don't listen, listen to Jason. You can listen, but <laughs> listen don't listen. listening, yes. It's rated PG-13 for thematic material and brief, strong language. <laughs> like, fuck out of here. <laughs> right. This is the one closing line that pushes it beyond PG and PG-13. It. Standards and practices. Um... Thank you so much for listening. That's a wrap. Yes. We uh, we we promise not to have a full month off without warning you that's going to be a full month off going forward. I guess is that a promise we can keep. Yeah, we don't want anyone to have abandonment issues. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and uh, and we we, we are always thinking about fair you. warning. We are going to have a missing episode in two weeks. Yeah, um, but so after this, we're going to have another episode, and then we're going to have another uh, week off, and then from that point forward, we should be with you for the rest of the year. We'll be with you, um, and minus the holiday weeks. Um, uh, in in the meantime, uh, Jason tweets pretty regularly. Um, your handle? Check me out at excess baggage. I'm at fight balance basketball season's coming, so watch out for that on my my handle. Watch out, indeed. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.